Welcome to the Two Journeys Podcast. This is episode 24 in the book of John, entitled, Behold, Your King is Coming, where we discuss John chapter 12, verses 1 through 19. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses that we're looking at today? Well, this uh, section of John's Gospel uh, is the culmination of a major section. I think the entire Gospel of John can be broken into four sections. You've got the prologue, which is John 1, 1 through 18, gives us all that marvelous theological introduction. In mm-hmm. the beginning was the Word which was God, with God. Then from John 1, 19 until the end of chapter 12, we have Jesus' public ministry. So his ministry to a mixed group of people uh, with a mixed reaction. And then uh, in John 13 through 17, we're going to see Jesus' private ministry, ministry to just his apostles and his immediate inner circle. And then John 18 through 21 is Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Mm -hmm. So that's a good four-part outline of the book. And then within the public ministry, you have, uh, you know, basically seven miraculous signs and seven extended teachings. But that's not all that happens. And so here as we come to an end of Jesus' public ministry, we're going to see his anointing at Bethany by Mary, and it's going to be exciting, and then the triumphal entry as he begins the final week of his life with the uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem, frequently celebrated by many churches at Palm Sunday. So that's what we're going to look at today. Great. Well, for those who are listening in, I'm going to go ahead and read John chapter 12, verses 1 through 19. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you. But you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Andy, in verses 1 through 3, we're invited into this scene in Bethany. Hmm. Why do you think that Jesus returned here to Bethany? 
Well, first of all, it's so beautiful, the, the love, the tender love he has for Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And it's just a representative of the love that he has for all of us. Just like John himself never mentions himself, but just calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Mm. So we are invited into, I love the way you phrase that question, invited into the warmth of a close, intimate relationship with Jesus here. He wants to sit at table with us and feast with us, somewhat like Revelation 3.20 where he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If mm. anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So we're actually reclining at table with him as we read this account, it's very beautiful. So also he just wants to continue to strengthen them in their faith and to encourage them and really also to celebrate the great power of God in Lazarus's life and raising him from the dead. As the passage begins, Martha is serving and Lazarus is reclining at the table with Jesus, but Mary comes and gives this lavish gift to Jesus. What was so extraordinary about her action and what do you think motivated Mary to offer this gift to Jesus? Well, it's amazing how we see Martha busy at work. You know, we have this consistency. There's no one in the Bible like Martha <laughs> who is, is so little is said. There's just a few passages, but she's the same person in every passage. She's just a, a hardworking, diligent, uh, you know, plain thinking, simple, straightforward woman of action. That's Remarkably she consistent. She is a very consistent <laughs> person. And then here's Mary, who's, mm. again, I think pretty consistent. She's more of a contemplative. She's at Jesus' feet, uh, reclining, um, learning like a disciple and now he or she anoints him mm. and what's amazing to answer your question the way you asked it, it what's really remarkable about what she did is the is the monetary value of the perfume um, Judas should know he's the business-minded mm -hmm. thief and we'll get to that in just a moment but he's able to put a good market value on what she did a year's wages Wow! so you're talking about some rare spice that gets put into anointment form and it's in this this expensive box and she breaks it open and it's just overpowering the aroma so you know with a, with a fine perfume just one little little um, drop of the oily you know oily perfume put on 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 the skin it's just that's enough but she's poured it all mm. she has overwhelmed all of them with the aroma of this. It's it's staggering, the, the smell. It was it was worth a year's wages because you could have used it for a year or 10 years, just a little bit. Mm. And she pours it all out. Wow. And so that's what's amazing. It's just the lavishness of the gift here. Oh, it's, it's, she's happy to, to pour this out on Jesus' feet. Mm. Like you mentioned, the next individual that we hear from in verses four through six is Judas Iscariot. Mm -hmm. What do we learn about Judas and this yeah. gift from Judas's statement? And what commentary does John give us here? This is a vital insight into Judas Iscariot. We need to understand some things about Judas. Judas didn't fall away. He was never there. Mm. He was there physically. But Jesus did say earlier, and we already talked about this in John six, have I not chosen you the 12 and one of you is a devil? So Judas was a devil then, he was a devil every day. Um, he was an evil man. What we learn here is that evil men can very much appear to be good men. Mm. They, can, they can look good on the outside, but inside full of dead men's bones and everything unclean, as Jesus said about the scribes and Pharisees. He says what we learn about Judas here is what Judas's motivations were for staying near Jesus. He cared about the money. He didn't care about anything else. Mm. What's also interesting is Jesus entrusted him with the money bag. And so you're like, well, 
bad move, Jesus, <laughs> yeah. um, but never, Why? we should never question Jesus. Everything mm -hmm. Jesus did was right and for a purpose. We get the feeling that Judas wouldn't have stuck around any other way, that this is exactly what was motivating Judas all along. What's just as tragic is Luke chapter 8 tells us where the money for the most part came from. It came from some women who supported Jesus out of their private means. Mary mm. Magdalene was one of them. Another another woman named Mary, I think, was uh, the wife of, of Herod's steward. And so she had some money and she gave it to Jesus. And so other than that, Jesus you know, had no place to lay his head. He was a poor man. And his disciples were picking heads of grain and rubbing them in their hands and eating them. They were poor too. Mm. And so this is a poor group of people financially being supported by some women out of their means and Judas is helping himself to the money bag. I mean, how evil is that? He's mm. just an evil person. And so here he speaks up. Now, another thing we need to understand is in all of the, in the synoptic gospels, and also here in John's Gospel, this is one of the few events that's in all four Gospels, is this anointing. And what's interesting is, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Judas goes immediately after this to betray Jesus. He basically, you get the feeling that Judas figures the, the, the jig is up. I mean, if we're going to be spending, we're going to be pouring a year's worth of wages mm. down on the ground, I don't have time for this. Yeah. There are better ways I can spend my time. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. So he was in it for the money, probably because he saw a huge expanse of Jesus' financial resources once he, once he became king. So he's like, man, this is looking really good. I'm going to stick right near Jesus, etc. When this happened, he's out. Yeah. So now he's going to try to get something. And what does he get? 30 pieces of silver. It's just consistent. We talked about Mary being a consistent person, Martha consistent, Judas is consistent too. It's all about the money. Mm. And that kind of begs the question, you mentioned it or alluded to it a few moments ago. If Jesus knew that Judas would steal, why would he give him the job of caring for the money? And why did Jesus pick a man who would betray him to be among his disciples in the first place? Yeah, well, um, first of all, we, we have to see it at different levels. Um, the friendship on Jesus' part was genuine. You know, The only way that you can betray someone is if you're a friend. Betray is for someone close, someone close by. And again, that fulfills Psalm 69. Even the one close to me has lifted up his heel against me, even the one who shared bread with me. Mm. So you, on, on Jesus' part, the, the friendship is genuine, but it, it's not ignorant. He's not, he's not gullible. He knows exactly what Judas is. He knows all men. He knows what was in a man. Mm -hmm. John chapter 2 tells us that. Also, this gives us insights into God's purposes in the reprobate. Um, God will bless reprobate people with earthly financial blessings that in the end become a curse to them. Hmm. Just like the 30 pieces of silver in the end were a curse to Judas. And so the access to the money bag in the end was a curse. God uses blessings to harden and condemn and damn people. So it says in, in Romans concerning the enemies of God, may their table be a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution to them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever, quoting Psalms. And so the table is a snare and a trap. The money bag was a trap to Judas. So he actually, to some degree, lays a snare for Judas and Judas falls into it. But Christ, for his motive, said, look, it was an honorable responsibility I gave to you. So he didn't do anything directly to curse Judas. Judas, in the end, cursed himself. Mm. How does Jesus then defend Mary's action? So moving on in the passage here, mm -hmm. and, and what did he mean when he said that Mary was to keep it for the day of burial? Well, he defends um, Mary here, 
and he defends her, uh, first of all, just by the beauty of her actions. And we learn in, in Matthew's gospel, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So it's a very important moment. Jesus says this act will never be forgotten. Mm. You know, it fits into our heavenly memories discussion as well, because in heaven we'll still remember what what Mary did to anoint Jesus. But he goes beyond that. He says, it was actually intended that she should save this uh, perfume for the day of my burial. And so um, there was a, a special uniqueness uh, to this, that she was getting him ready for burial. Jesus knew that his hour was coming very soon. I don't know that she understood that. I don't know that they all understood it, but he's soon going to die. And so forever there would be a link between this action and his burial. He also says the poor you will always have with you, and you can help them whenever you want, he says in another place. So if you're so worried about the poor, you'll have plenty of chances. In saying this, by the way, he directly quotes Deuteronomy, which openly says the same thing. There will always be poor in the land. So there's always an opportunity, but you will not, he says in the Synoptic Gospels, you'll not always have me. Mm. And so Mary knew, and this is a unique moment, and I don't know that she fully understood he's about to die, but these days um, are about to end. And so you think about, they're real people. And you think about the death of a loved one or the end of an era. For me, I you know gave a daughter away in, in marriage and it's happy, but it's also sad because a time is coming to an end. And so, you know, you feel like we had these times together and you're not always gonna have them. So it was right for her to do this. Mm. Also shows the whole WWJD thing. It's like, I don't always know what Jesus would do. <laughs> it's like, you, you know, you think, you know, you're right. It really, this would have been better to be given to the poor. Nope, pour it on my feet. Pour it all. Years worth, right on my feet. Mm. And it's like, hmm, okay. Never quite sure what we're going to do here. So, mm. but again, the lavish, and I think there's a worship song, Broken and Spilled Out, which says, look, there is no amount of giving that we can ever do to Jesus that would be too much. You know, you give everything you have and it's still less than he deserves. Mm. Mm. As we move into the next verses here, in verse 9 it says, uh, the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there. They came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus. Mm -hmm. Why does John mention the crowd here? And we've, we've seen this before where there's a crowd that's mentioned. And why were, why were they there? What was the purpose of their visit? Well, I can't help but look ahead to verse 10 as well. Right. You got the, the bad people too. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a <laughs> yep. minute. It's like John is so transparent and so clear <laughs> in what he's doing. Believers, unbelievers. Yep. You got the, the righteous and the wicked all the time. So the crowd is here to worship him. And uh, we're, we're going to get that with the triumphal entry. So they're, they're here specifically though because of the greatest miracle Jesus ever did. Uh, he raised a dead man, a man who had been dead for four days. And mm. so they're ready to worship him, to honor him and give him glory. So they're there specifically because of Lazarus. Yeah. What was the result of the large crowd's desire to see Lazarus? And what picture does this passage paint of the chief priest's reaction to mm. that response of the people? Well, it's pretty clear they are threatened by Jesus. Mm -hmm. the, they are extremely concerned. Uh, and, you know, practically, they're very practical about this with good reason. The Romans were interested in large, ardent crowds. That's very interesting to the Romans. Mm -hmm. So when we see this in the book of Acts, you know, and see it in Ephesus with the riot at Ephesus, you know, they, the Romans will get motivated when there's a big crowd of people filled with energy and passion. So, um, and we're gonna see this a moment later in the, in the triumphal entry, but 
you know, they are saying, look, we are in ever greater danger from Jesus. This is getting us nowhere. We are in deep trouble here because now that he's raised Lazarus from the dead, they're, they're even more ardent after him. So they expand their assassination plans to include Lazarus. I mean, can you, you see, it's like exactly the wrong response. Mm. If ever there's a time to fall on your face and worship Jesus, it's when you look at what he did with Lazarus, but instead, oh, I guess now we have to kill Lazarus. How can you be that blind? It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, and I think as we go on in John chapter 12, we'll see some more of that, just the blindness and the inability, the, the mm-hmm. hardness of people's hearts towards mm-hmm. the ministry of Jesus. And so I think you're right. It's evidenced right here in the way even these leaders are perceiving the crowd's response right. to it. But also their reaction to Lazarus is a foretaste mm-hmm. of the very thing Jesus is going to say to all of his, his, his disciples, his apostles. You will be my witnesses and they'll want to kill you too mm-hmm. because on account of you, many will go over and follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. So for 20 centuries now, that's been true. The very effective witnesses are targets of Satan and of his henchmen, human beings, who use Satan's hatred of Christ to, uh, as a pretext and a reason for killing, you know, witnesses, fruitful witnesses. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the desire to kill Lazarus is going to be fulfilled again and again and again in the most fruitful witnesses of Christ in church history. Mm. Well, verse 12 here gives us kind of a sense of the timeline. It says the next day, Mm -hmm. and we see another crowd mentioned here made up of those who had come to Jerusalem for the feast. Mm -hmm. How did the crowd know that Jesus was going to Jerusalem? Well, he had been saying it. He had set his face to go up there. That was the direction, the whole direction of it. And it was the time for the feast. Mm -hmm. And so it was really commanded for all Jewish men to go up three times a year. And this was one of them. So they knew he was heading there and he made it very clear that that's where he was going. And up to this point, why had Jesus avoided public display of himself? And how do the people react when he enters the city openly and publicly? Right. Well, um, I'm not a great cook, um, but there are some times when I have a pot on the stove uh-huh. and it starts to boil over. I know that one quick way to solve it is to move it off the burner. So I just slide it over about eight inches and it settles down. Um, and Jesus, I think, just makes some lateral steps at key moments to just let the pot simmer down a bit and not boil over because if he stays right there on the heat they're going to kill him and so he's got to hide himself he's got to slip away he's got to move away but now Mm. he's turned the heat up Mm. the time has come and so the heat's going to get turned up and it's going to be brought to a boil yeah and the crowds are crying out some pretty incredible things Mm -hmm. what's the significance of the statement blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord well, this is a statement made in Psalm 118, uh, and it's messianic. They're, they're claiming that he's Messiah. He is the one coming in the name of the Lord. He is the Messiah, mm. and he is blessed. He is a, he's, he's a good thing. They don't think he's blessed. They think he's Beelzebub. They think he's, he's, uh, he's a bastard son of Mary and a Samaritan soldier. Um, they, I mean, they think blasphemous things about him. Mm. But for the crowd to be saying, Hosanna, which means save now, and they're all expecting the king has come and all that. Wow. So they are saying he is the son of David fulfilling the messianic prophecies. Wow. Well, according to Zechariah 9.9, why should the daughter of Zion not be afraid? And what does this teach us about Jesus? So this is tapping into a, a prophecy from Zechariah and Zechariah 9 that that the coming son of David, the Davidic king who would come, would be humble and riding on a donkey. Hmm. 
and uh, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, it says. And so um, here he comes and you picture it. And I, I, I haven't been around farm animals much, but I've actually ridden on a donkey and I've been near people riding on donkeys and they're nowhere near as high as horses. So they're not terrifying and they move rather slowly, kind of an ungainly step. So um, you're not going to want to ride it into battle. Mm -hmm. A little bit <laughs> so, of an awkward ride. It's just kind of tiny. You know, jerking along there, et cetera, and he's riding on the donkey. It's better than walking over a long distance, so that's good. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just a it's a picture of humility, not of military threat. Or So your, your king is coming humble and riding on a donkey. So there's a meekness and lowliness. He's mm -hmm. not what you expect. He's not really what you were looking for. He's coming humble. And so, again... They're expecting him to come and beat the Romans. And the Romans, they were there because of military prowess. So to ride on a donkey seems a bit strange. Um, and so they weren't really expecting the Messiah they should have been looking for hmm. in Zechariah. I don't think they were thinking about Zechariah 9.9. And, and it even says in the text, the disciples weren't looking for this. So we can talk about that in a minute. But, yeah. but they, they did, nobody was thinking Zechariah 9 here. They were like, oh, here comes Jesus. Kind of odd he's on a donkey, but let's celebrate him. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the disciples mm -hmm. for a minute. Why did they not understand these things and what changed after Jesus was glorified? Well, Jesus said that the Spirit, when the Spirit came, he would bring to mind all the things that I've said. So they remembered later. Same thing happened in John 2 when he said, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Later on, the disciples realized he was talking about his resurrection. But at the time, they just recorded it in their minds. Mm. It's like, don't you remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. And so the Holy Spirit would bring to memory these things. But then the second phase, now that you remember, let's apply some scripture to it. Hmm. Now, I think there's also a practical um, uh, ministry of this. Jesus taught them the scriptures in the 40 days before he ascended to heaven. So they had a 40-day seminary with Jesus going over back over scriptures. Hey, remember when I rode into, into Jerusalem? Let's oh, look yeah. at Zechariah 9. Ah, got it. So not mm -hmm. only did the Holy Spirit teach them, but Jesus himself instructed them. Remember the two disciples on the road mm -hmm. to Emmaus? Their hearts are burning within them when he opens the scriptures to them. So it could be that Jesus taught them Zechariah 9. All I'm saying is, at that point when they're throwing down palm branches and saying Hosanna, they're not thinking Zechariah 9. That came mm -hmm. in later. Wow. And that's helpful for us, I think, as well as we study scripture, to look at these and, and really not... Uh, brush too quickly past these mm -hmm. prophecies that are quoted here because it's important for us to to remember to recognize to mm -hmm. see clearly who jesus is and how he comes as this fulfillment to those old testament prophecies mm -hmm. verses 18 and 19 bring our passage for today to a close by mm -hmm. describing the crowd going out to meet jesus mm -hmm. what effect did the continued spread of the fame of jesus have on jerusalem and mm -hmm. on the pharisees well, the place was, was was a seething cauldron of activity anyway. Mm. I mean, Josephus tells us that a quarter of a million lambs were sacrificed at Passover during wow. his day. So you're talking about, you know, that's one per household. So you're talking about a quarter of a million households, several, several million people thronging in. Meanwhile, there's this disturbance and this huge crowd is shouting Hosanna to Jesus. He is very famous. And so everything is being, like I said, it's being brought to a boil. And mm. so uh, when his enemies see him, it's like, we are losing ground. We are, he, he is being acclaimed the coming king. And the people are ready to crown him king. We know he's not the king. He's a, he's a faker. He's a fraud. And so all that's going to happen is the Romans are going to come in here with a legion. And they're going to wipe us out. 
And so they are, they are terrified that the whole world has gone after Jesus. Mm. Now, I think anyone that's ever heard a, a Palm Sunday sermon understands the irony of all of this, that the crowd is chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna, but a week la later, a crowd, at least in Jerusalem, maybe different people, maybe the same people, are shouting, crucify him, crucify him. How fickle we are. Mm. And where Jesus usually shuts down these kinds of, of, of displays, at this point, he's actually encouraging it. When the children are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, and they say to him in the Synoptic Gospels, don't you hear what these children are saying? He said, yes, haven't you heard from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? You know, and, and if they remain quiet, even the rocks will cry out. Mm. And so Jesus is not shutting this down at all mm. because he actually is the king. He actually is the son of David. But the time hadn't come yet. He, he had to go through the cross first to mm. win that kingdom as he intended. So it's powerful. It is. Well, Andy, any final thoughts for us on these first 19 verses of John chapter 12? Well, we have um, Mary's anointing and Jesus receives that worship. We have the crowd shouting Hosanna, and he accepts that worship. And so for me, uh, also the blind man worships him at his feet, and he accepted that worship. Thomas at the end of this gospel will say, my Lord and my God, and he accepts the worship. Jesus will drink in our worship for all eternity because it's just simply right. Hmm. It is right for us to worship him. When Satan said, I'll give you all the world if you fall down and worship me, that it was so wrong because he's a creature, he's a creative being. Jesus is the creator, he's the king, mm. he's the savior, he's worthy of worship. So whatever worship we can give, whether it's like Mary pouring out a year's worth of wages on his feet or like the crowd saying, Hosanna to the coming king, let's worship Jesus. Mm. Amen, let's worship Jesus. Well, this has been episode 24 in the book of John. We'd invite you to join us next time for episode 25 entitled Fruitfulness Through Death, where we'll discuss John chapter 12, verses 20 through 36. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.